I'm hoping you'll get through the rest of the weekend without more. Tonight, what health officials say after three more schools report COVID variant exposures. Plus. So are they having a reception? They're, they're just kind of meeting together right now. New allowances for three Fraser Valley churches, but have they taken them one step too far? And... Stolen items mixed in as well, some toxic items, some biohazardous items. The vast amount of garbage being generated at the homeless camp at Strathcona Park. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Less than a week after Fraser Health reported variant exposures at seven schools in the region, staff and students at three more schools are dealing with exposures. Critics say it's long past time to implement stricter COVID measures at schools. But as Nadia Stewart reports, health officials say current restrictions are enough to manage the growing case numbers, including the spread of variants. The start of the weekend bringing with it the addition of three more Surrey schools to the list of COVID-19 exposures. That includes Queen Elizabeth Secondary School and two classes at Frank Hurt Secondary. They've been told to self-monitor for symptoms. People are still being tested and uh, or asked to self-monitor depending on what kind of um, exposure it was. At a third school, MB Sanford, an entire class has been told to get tested. This being done out of an abundance of caution. In a statement posted on social media, the Surrey School District says it has been told by Fraser Health the wider school population is not at risk. Dr. Gustafson says at this point they cannot confirm whether transmission within the school occurred. We know that when there is a transmission in school, through evidence reviews throughout Canada, uh, the uh, number is almost always less than five. And what we're finding in British Columbia is that most often it's zero, and when there is a transmission, it's one or two. Last weekend, the variant of concern first detected in the UK was involved in cases in a number of schools, including one in Delta. Maybe, I'm hoping we'll get through the rest of the weekend without more, but frankly, I'm not that optimistic. Matt Westfall of the Surrey Teachers Association says there are concerns the current measures are inadequate. Teachers are not feeling good, especially as spring break approaches. If everyone follows the recommendations to stay put and not gather and not travel, then spring break could actually help. But if people do what they might be tending, wanting to do, which is getting together, going away, then there's a real concern about what we'll find once schools reopen. Dr. Gustafson says the current guidelines in place are effective, but only when there's full compliance. There are no plans at the moment to beef up the measures in place, but they are being reiterated, trying to ward off the very real challenge known as COVID fatigue. Nadia Stork, Global News. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster. Fraser Health says there has been evidence of transmission in a medicine unit. Five people have tested positive for the virus. FH says the outbreak is currently limited to one unit. The hospital's emergency ward remains open. Hundreds of members of a Vancouver Island First Nation hit hard by COVID-19 are lining up for a three-day vaccination clinic. The drive-through immunization runs through Sunday and is open to anyone 18 and over who lives with a Cowichan tribe's member in the Cowichan Valley. The Duncan-based First Nation has had 240 confirmed cases of the virus since December 31st. 
Four COVID-related deaths have been recorded, including two young adults. Last month, the Cowichan tribes administered 661 first doses to its members. And these are the first doses for the younger age group. This is just another tool to keep ourselves, to keep our community safe. So after two weeks, it reaches 94% uh, efficacy. Um, so just another way to strengthen us in this battle. Does it give you peace of mind knowing that uh, you're doing something to protect all your family? Yeah, I feel more comfortable now. I think it's important. How important? Uh, well, for the safety of me and my family and my community. It's, it's okay. You can't even feel it going in. Those, those people are pretty good at it. I think that it's better to get the shot, even though you're a little bit anxious to have uh, an immunity. It's like a booster. It's like a flu shot. And the Couch and Tribe's second dose vaccinations are set to begin on Wednesday. More exemptions to current pandemic restrictions are being granted to BC's faith communities. The Orthodox Jewish community is joining three Fraser Valley churches now allowed to hold small, in-person, restricted gatherings. But as Julia Foy reports, parishioners at one of those churches appear to be skirting some of the public health orders that have not been eased. The sun shone down on a young couple who had just been married at the Cavalry Church in Langley. You had a lot of people that are that are lining up for spring weddings this year? No, we haven't actually, so uh, this is the first one we've done in a while. The ticket's going to Calvary uh, Chapel. This church has been in the spotlight several times over the past few months for breaking the provincial health orders, which restrict churches from holding in-person services on Sundays. But a wedding service is allowed with restrictions. The 10 people, which is what they've said in the in the specification stipulations for what you can do under the health order. So that's what we kept it to. And so at a very small wedding with just uh, the immediate family. The rules stipulate only 10 people, including the officiant, can attend. But no receptions are allowed and safety rules, including masks, must be worn. This bride was maskless and the wedding party went into a hall across from the chapel. Primarily offices, reception, and then our, our meeting spaces over on the side here. So are they having a reception? They're, they're just kind of meeting together right now and they're getting ready to head out here in a second. The rules around religious services have been changing. Dr. Bonnie Henry recently offered three churches a Hail Mary of sorts. The churches are, are no longer prohibited completely from in person worship services, but certain conditions have been imposed. The exemption would allow up to 25 people to attend service outside with social distancing and no singing. Orthodox Jews have also been granted an exemption to the rules, but they too have to wear masks. When uh, safety plans can be demonstrated and the importance of the event is such that an exemption can be granted. As wedding season begins, it's unclear whether the Cavalry Church and two others will follow the rules. Their lawyer is expected back in court this week to fight for their rights to gather under the Canadian Charter. Congratulations. Thank you. Julia Foy, Global News. A former NHL player wants the B.C. government to allow the province's top junior hockey leagues to resume playing games this season. More than 2,500 people have signed North Vancouver resident Gary Volk's online petition. It asks Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix to allow the BCHL and the WHL to return to play as soon as possible. Both hockey leagues are currently holding physically distanced 
practices since COVID-19 restrictions sidelined all games last year. There's no timeline on the return to play in B.C., but the petition states other Junior A hockey leagues in Canada, the U.S. and Europe have resumed play. What is the reasoning our junior players are not playing? They, in Alberta, they just started up their WHL teams. They have tested every player three times with zero positive tests. In the BCHL, they played for three months. They had two cases outside of their bubble with no spread amongst the team after they've all been tested. These kids have proven they can do it safely. There's no reason they can't still live their dreams. The Baldy Mountain Resort near Oliver has been temporarily closed after an employee was killed on the job on Friday. The resort posted a statement saying, We are all devastated. The intense emotions we feel are beyond comprehension. We cannot begin to grasp the overwhelming pain and sorrow the family is going through right now. The RCMP says early findings suggest a 70-year-old worker became stuck underneath a snow groomer and died. It's not clear when the resort will reopen. The RCMP, WorkSafe BC and BC Corner Service are all investigating. A search was launched today to help find a missing 35-year-old woman in North Vancouver. RCMP are asking people to keep an eye out for Fatima Abdolali. The 35-year-old was last seen yesterday during the noon hour at, on Marine Drive between Capilano and McKay. The 35-year-old is 5'3 with dark hair. She was wearing a light pink sweater, gray and white walking shoes and carrying a black shopping bag. Members of North Shore Rescue searched parts of Haywood Park this afternoon. If you spot her, please call 911 right away. Members of North Shore Rescue saved a hiker who got stuck on the grouse ground overnight. Search and rescue crews say a young man hiked up the trail on Grouse Mountain yesterday despite the fact it's closed for the season. He lost his way and became disoriented, then fell, injuring himself. But he managed to call for help. Crews say the hiker was not prepared and had virtually no equipment. They're warning anyone planning to hit the trails this weekend to be prepared for changing conditions. The conditions up there are icy down lower and then as you get higher there's snow covering the icy conditions and the, the avalanche conditions are quite uh, moderate and uh, there is significant danger. You know, you can't just go out uh, willy-nilly. And just a few hours earlier, the team was called to help a female hiker who ran into trouble on the Norvan Falls area of Lynn Headwaters Park, which is currently closed. She was well prepared, though, with a pack, headlamp, micro spikes, a map, and had told people where she was going. But she lost the trail in the snow, and when it started getting dark, she called for help. She had intended to go to Norvan Falls, but unfortunately she wasn't able to follow the trail and um, took a spur trail which is closed for winter, which leads up to Coliseum up in the mountains. And typically we don't have cell coverage there, so I'm extremely glad that um, she was able to call 911. North Shore Rescue says the hiker was following trail markers but didn't realize they were leading her in the wrong direction. A tragic end to a story we told you about earlier this week. A baby who was diagnosed with an extremely rare form of cancer has died. Alejo was born in January and was only one of 10 people in the world to be diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. 
At just four weeks of age, Alejo was considered too small for surgery, at least in Canada. But doctors at Boston Children's Hospital have attempted it. Unfortunately, it is costly, requiring a million dollars U.S. just for a deposit. A GoFundMe page was launched, and the North Point Brewing Company in North Vancouver named a new IPA after Alejo to help raise the funds. Sadly, the baby died in his parents' arms on Thursday. On Friday, his family had received news that Alejo had been accepted into the infant treatment trial in the U.S. The GoFundMe raised $290,000, which the family says will be donated to childhood cancer research. The IPA funds will benefit Canuck Place. Fire crews in Kamloops were kept busy today battling a major fire at the Mission Flats Landhill. Firefighters were called to the scene just before 10 o'clock this morning and say it's not yet known what sparked the fire. Residents were told to stay away from the area as the large plume of smoke from the fire was potentially toxic. Anyone downwind was advised to shelter in place indoors. Firefighters say the flames broke out in the dump's metal recycling area where appliances including refrigerators and microwaves are stored. Well, from household items to toxic waste, garbage associated with the eight-month tent city in Strathcona Park is piling up. And as Kristen Robinson reports, neighbors say mountains of trash lingered through the summer until the city recently ramped up its response. It's been literally a garbage dump. According to neighbors, Strathcona Park has long been a dumping ground. And they just backed up the truck and dumped it there. This is what Councillor Pete Fry found last year, a month before the encampment moved in. Once the tents went up, Jamie McLaren says the situation only got worse through the summer and fall. We'd call in reports of, of massive jumps of garbage, um, and it would, they would stay there for, for weeks. And sometimes we were told it was a, a hazard, you know, it was hazardous materials and it needs to stay in place for a while, which never made any sense to us. The problem piled up. From last October to February, the city of Vancouver collected around 108,000 kilograms or 108 tons of garbage from the park. The same weight as 59 Ford F-150 trucks, 18 average African elephants, or more than three humpback whales. It's hugely frustrating. You feel abandoned as a community. You wonder if this would happen on the west side of the city. Tired of getting dumped on, McLaren says he and up to 600 other Strathcona residents withheld a chunk of their 2020 property taxes from the city, citing inaction on safe housing for those sheltering in the park and inadequate services. They need to hold up their end of the bargain uh, before I hold up my end of the bargain when it comes to taxes. The city says sanitation staff have increased their attendance to the park and collect garbage from the perimeter seven days a week, as well as supporting park board staff to clean inside the west side of the park and provide sanitation services. It didn't have to be this way. The city could have cleared the garbage on a regular basis from, from June onward. McLaren admits the city has upped its garbage game, but says there's more work to be done. Kristen Robinson, Global News. BC's anti-gang unit recently seized a vehicle riddled with bullet holes and full of drugs and cash. This vehicle was stopped in Surrey on February 22nd by gang enforcement officers patrolling near 104 Avenue and Wally Boulevard. There were shots to the driver's side and $25,000 in cash, two pounds of suspected marijuana, knives and bear spray inside. The vehicle was seized along with the drugs and the cash. Three men aged 20 to 37 were arrested. 
A confrontation is looming on southern Vancouver Island. Since the summer, a group of environmental activists has been blockading logging roads. Well, next week, they face a court injunction that could have them forcibly removed. But as Paul Johnson reports, some of them say they are willing to be arrested. On the logging roads east of Port Renfrew on southern Vancouver Island, a handful of activists have spent the winter here, blocking access to an imminent clear-cut operation. Since Global News first came here last summer, they've dug in, expanding their cooking facilities and modifying vehicles and tents for winter living. Rhea Ironside has spent much of February here. In B.C., we have, like, the last ancient temperate rainforest in the world, and we are still cutting it down, and I just, I think it's not worth it. I think it's worth more alive. They're trying to stop the logging of this, an area known as Fairy Creek, which likely has yellow cedars that are more than 1,000 years old. While the exact number is disputed, BC's coastal rainforest has never had fewer pockets of very old trees and ecosystems like this. While the winter didn't dislodge them, a Supreme Court judge in Vancouver might soon do that. The company that plans to log here, Teal Jones, is applying for an injunction that would empower the RCMP to arrest and remove them. Teal Jones didn't respond to our request for an interview, but their court filing makes it pretty clear. They have the legal right to log that forest, which they say has timber worth about $10 million, and that these blockades are interfering with their business and their ability to keep their sawmills running. Some of the blockaders tell Global News they're not certain yet if they're willing to be arrested. But others tell us it's a matter of conscience. Nicholas Miel says when he came to B.C. from Quebec, he was shocked to learn that we still cut down thousand-year-old trees out here. He's made up his mind. Predicting like the last century is in Bikerville? Yeah, yeah, we'll get arrested for that, sure. Near Port Renfrew. Paul Johnson, Global News. Activists took to the streets of downtown Vancouver today, snarling traffic in some areas to communicate their message on the urgency of the climate crisis. <laughs> Members of the protest group Extinction Rebellion dumped fake blood outside the B.C. Supreme Court on Smythe Street this afternoon. The demonstration, which the group called Peaceful Civil, Civil Disobedience, started at noon and lasted for several hours. Organizers say climate change is an emergency and they're not afraid to go to extreme measures to get that message across to politicians and to the public. We're here because um, we've seen the inaction of the governments all over the world about the climate crisis and we've listened to the science, we've listened to Indigenous voices and we know that we have to demand immediate action to avert total catastrophe. It's already starting and we're here to just demand action. Protesters gathered in front of the Vancouver Public Library today to call for global action in the Myanmar crisis. It comes as tensions escalate between demonstrators and security forces within the country's two biggest cities over the February 1st military coup that ousted the elected government. 
Several people have been injured in the demonstrations, capturing global attention, including from those here at home. Today's protest was organized by the Myanmar Students Community of Canada, who are calling for democracy to be restored and for an end to the violence. Archaeologists have unearthed an ancient Roman ceremonial carriage from a village just outside Pompeii. The four-wheeled carriage made of iron, bronze and tin is almost perfectly preserved. It was found near the stables of an ancient villa just north of the walls of the ancient city that was buried in volcanic ash when Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD. The carriage is the first of its kind discovered in the area. The new Canadian health order requiring a three-day hotel quarantine for international air travellers is off to a bit of a rocky start. The rules, which came into effect on Monday, have sparked a flurry of complaints and confusion from travellers. As Jeff Sample reports, some say they've been left without access to basic necessities, including food. I would call it a boondoggle. Ray Truesdale knew this would be a bumpy business trip. On Wednesday, he arrived from Tennessee to Toronto. Per Canada's new rules, he was tested for COVID-19 on arrival and quarantined in an airport hotel pending the results. Truesdale lives with diabetes and says he was told meals would be delivered to his room. But after nearly 24 hours, he says he still hadn't received any food. And nobody answers the phone. So I went down to the lobby. When I opened the doors, it was incredible. He recorded this video of hangry hotel guests. I understand that. Packed in the lobby, shouting at staff. They were screaming. Uh, I thought they were going to lynch the manager. Truesdale eventually received some toast and a message that his COVID test sample had been damaged and he needed another. But there's nothing on there that tells you where, what to do. So what do I do? Who do I contact? So Truesdale left his room again, returned to the airport to receive another test. Social media is flooded with similar accounts from travelers waiting on hold for hours, forced to pay premium prices with little or no food. When the federal government first announced these new measures, it pointed to concerns about COVID variants arriving from abroad and urged Canadians to avoid pandemic travel. But some insist they have no choice. We had to make the very difficult decision to go to Australia. Camila Pulido just arrived from down under, visiting her terminally ill father-in-law. She says the processing of passengers at Vancouver's airport was so disorganized, she had to interact with a dozen different staff. We just couldn't believe how much risk we had just encountered. Like, we would have felt so much safer if we had just come home. Jeff Semple, Global News, Toronto. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will appear tomorrow morning on the NBC political show Meet the Press. And if one of his answers to host Chuck Todd is any indication, border restrictions won't be lifted anytime soon. What is the metric you're looking at to decide when to open the border? I think there's an awful lot of different metrics we need to look at on, uh, on border and on keeping Canadians uh, safe from COVID-19. But we'll continue to engage uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the White House and with the administration on the best times to start releasing border measures. But uh, for now, uh, we all need to keep safe, and that means uh, keeping them in place.
The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the single-dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. More than 47 million Americans have received at least one dose of the two-dose Pfizer and Moderna vaccines authorized back in December. Health Canada is still reviewing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is believed to have an efficacy rate of 60 to 70 percent. A Singapore court has sentenced a British man to two weeks in prison for illegally meeting his fiancée while undergoing two weeks of mandatory quarantine. Authorities say Nigel Ski left his room three times on September 21st last year, one of which was to meet his then Singaporean girlfriend who was not in quarantine and had booked a room in the same hotel. Skia was not wearing a mask while breaking quarantine, which is required in Singapore. Skia was also fined $752 on top of the prison sentence. His girlfriend, now his wife, was sentenced to one week in prison for aiding and abetting him. There's a new development in the investigation into the death of a Capitol Police officer killed in the January 6th insurrection. The FBI says it's targeting a, targeting a suspect seen on video appearing to spray a chemical substance on Officer Brian Sicknick during the riot. Authorities say Sicknick returned to his division office where he collapsed. He was then taken to hospital where he died the next day. The FBI has not determined the cause of Sicknick's death and have not identified the suspect yet. Some good news for Lady Gaga. Two French bulldogs belonging to the performer have now been brought to the, into the Los Angeles Police Department. Nearly two days ago, they were abducted by armed robbers who shot and critically injured the dog walker in Hollywood. Detectives are still looking for information into the shooting captured on video obtained by TMZ. Lady Gaga was in Rome working on a film during Wednesday night's attack. Police say a woman who appeared to be unrelated and uninvolved in the incident dropped the dogs off. Lady Gaga had offered a $500,000 reward for information that led to the dog's safe return. No questions asked. In Health Matters tonight, new research has found the majority of adult COVID-19 hospitalizations are due to at least one of four underlying conditions. Tufts University study looked at more than 900,000 COVID hospitalizations. It found 30% were attributable to obesity, 26% to high blood pressure, 21% to diabetes, and 12% to heart failure. When the numbers for those conditions were combined, the model suggests 64% of hospitalizations could have been prevented. Icy conditions caused a massive 30-vehicle pileup on a Montana interstate today. Have a look at this. The crash temporarily shut down part of a highway and sent two people to hospital in critical condition. Two pedestrians on a bridge at the time ended up jumping off it to avoid being hit. They, too, are in hospital. The cause of the crash is believed to have been icy roads. An 11-year-old Alberta boy's winter mega project. Wait until you hear what went into completing it. We'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. Oh, all those cold weather stories. Not, not the case <laughs> down here on the south coast. Yeah, we had a nice pleasant start to the day. We had some sunshine in the mix. We are going to see some wet weather moving in this evening, and I'll have more on the amounts and what we can anticipate, especially leading in towards the latter half of our weekend. Great shot. Uh, the halo around the sun. This sun, sun dog captured an Agassiz. Thank you so much, Laura. Temperatures right now sitting at 6. We bumped up to 7. We've got a light southeasterly wind at 4 kilometers per hour. Now, here's what we are anticipating, though. We've already got some precipitation moving across 
across the island and then it is going to move in across Metro Vancouver. We'll be looking at rain for most areas. Areas near Whistler though could be seeing some snowfall late this evening and then flurries into the early morning hours. We do have snowfall though. The following areas in White, Prince George, Caribou all included within that and the snowfall will be this evening 10 and up to 15 centimeters and then easing off towards the morning hours with just a chance for some flurries and then breaks towards the afternoon. Metro Vancouver south coast we are going to see that wave of rain this evening continuing for the early morning hours. Most areas through the day tomorrow it'll be a chance of showers we could see some drizzle it'll be light for a few areas and then it is going to clear out as we get in towards uh, uh, the southern interior for our Monday. Now if you're traveling along the mountain passes Whistler's where we're tracking some snowfall this evening. We do have a significant amount for the Pine Pass between 10 and up to 15 centimeters. Coquihalla 5 and up to 10 centimeters in the Allison and Rogers Pass looking at 5. Should start to ease off though with lighter snowfall through the morning hours. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, do check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Blustery conditions tomorrow paired with the rainfall along the north coast. We could see the winds ramping up anywhere between 60 and gusts of up to 80 kilometers per hour. Snow will start to ease off for the northeastern corners of the province and we'll see that across the central interior. It'll be a partly cloudy sky breaks towards the afternoon. Columbia and Kootenai could still see that rain snow mix for the early morning hours. The tops in Okanagan will see most of the clearing approaching the noon hour. Whistler could see that flurry or a chance of showers and the south coast. We've got a much grayer day in store for tomorrow. Precipitation heavy though. A few spots late evening overnight for the day tomorrow. We are looking at some showers. Long range forecast. It is going to be unsettled but mild into next week. Colleen Monday we're at 10 degrees and even 10 and 11 degrees midweek onwards but it's going to be on and off rainfall for tomorrow. We're closer to eight. Back to you. Okay. Thanks so much Yvonne. Many of us have taken up hobbies since the start of the pandemic but one Alberta boys backyard project shows a determination and creativity. Many adults wish they had. Global Sarah Comadina explains. This winter on top of going to school, 11-year-old Sebastian McCarthy decided to take on a full-time job. Took about two months and I worked like eight-hour days. Using a saw, sled, and snow, Sebastian started to create something that is considered a part of Canada's identity. So I was very motivated and I built the two igloos and um, I really wanted to finish it before it started melting. Inspired to win a competition at his school, he made every single brick, starting with snow in his own backyard in Lloydminster. And when that ran out, making a trek across the street to haul snow blocks back. For the snow bricks, not counting the slide and the uh, snowman, I used 550 ice bricks that I cut with a saw. And for the ice bricks, I got 575 and I froze them with foil pans overnight and about 60 a night. This kid is also tough. He worked right through a classic Alberta cold snap. Minus 53 was my coldest. He stayed outside until his mom or dad called him in to warm up. It was a bit of a challenge to angle all the blocks so we could make more of a dome. And this was more of a circle before. All of his hours, hard work, and cold fingers were worth it. He built five structures, including a 10-foot tower and two igloos. I was very proud of myself. It's warmer now, and the snow fort is fading from its glory days, but that's okay. Sebastian is now setting his sights on next winter's creation, even if it's hard to beat the original. I really actually do want to build another one. I don't know if I'll top it, though. Sarah Comadina. 
Global News. And a reminder, he's only 11. He's got a future. I see yeah. success in his future. That's <laughs> oh, amazing. Barry, what do you got coming up? Uh, well, we can guarantee the Canucks will not lose this weekend. Oh, good. Because they don't play until... <laughs> I think you got to look at the positives, the way you look at things, Colleen. But we will hear from Travis Green, gave his team uh, the day off the ice again as they look to uh, get back into the playoff race, if that's a, a thing even. Uh, and Connor McDavid and the uh, Oilers taking on the Leafs in a big showdown. We'll have highlights of that as well. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks, Barry. He was a hero twice over, first fighting in the Second World War and more recently raising millions of dollars for Britain's National Health Service. At the age of 100, he, was, he succumbed to COVID-19 and today, Captain Sir Tom Moore was laid to rest. A Royal Air Force flyby is usually the reserve of royalty, heads of state, war heroes. But then World War II veteran Captain Sir Tom Moore became a war hero of sorts in the last year of his life. Captain Tom captured the hearts of this nation and the world last year with one small gesture, walk a hundred laps of his garden to mark his hundredth birthday, raise some money from battled workers of Britain's National Health Service. He ended up raising more than $40 million, earning, among other accolades, a knighthood from the Queen. The last time I spoke with Captain Tom, we talked about a movie deal in the works. Is the world ready for Captain Tom, the movie? <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> Though he wasn't quite ready for Hollywood's Walk of Fame just yet. Whatever the result, I don't anticipate ever coming into, into America and putting my hand in a piece of wet concrete somewhere. Sadly, one of very few moments Sir Captain Tom didn't live to see. In an epilogue to his book, writing about his inevitable passing, Captain Tom wrote, Life will go on, babies will be born, and people will eventually forget about Captain Tom. He added, for a while, though, I'll be remembered for the last years of my life rather than those that went before, a rare blessing. He said he only wants a little white headstone to mark his existence. In his words, nothing too fancy. For CBS This Morning, Saturday, Charlie Daggett, Bedford, England. Barry's here with sports. And what is it they say? A change is as good as a rest. But I think in this case, a rest is needed. Yeah. If anyone needs a mental break right now, it's the Canuck players. They've, uh, you know, it's been, it was a horrible February for them. They did not uh, get many wins. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, Canucks stayed off the ice for a second straight day, trying to recharge the batteries on this rare weekend off. They get back at it with games Monday and Tuesday in Winnipeg. The Canucks went 2-9-2 and two in February and literally must feel like other teams are piling on them. Canucks face a daunting task to get back into the playoff contention. They're not playing horribly, but just haven't made the key plays at the key times, and the losses keep piling up. You know, we were in a stretch there when we were in Montreal and Toronto where our game was, it felt a little bit lost. Um, you know, we've, had a couple days here which was has been good for our team just uh, mentally and physically um and then we've had a stretch of probably eight out of nine games where we really liked our game and um not getting the results when you're when you you know i, I guess really need a win is frustrating for your group uh and that's probably been the, the biggest part the hardest part 
NHL today, Flames and Senators, Brady Kachuk versus older brother Matthew. Sens have won five of seven. They're just three points behind the Canucks, but the Flames got off to a quick start and never looked back. Johnny Gaudreau, spin move, beautiful backhand saucer pass to Yuso Velimaki for just his second career NHL goal. one nothing Flames. 37 seconds later, former Canuck demon Eric Goodbranson falls down. Andrew Mangiapane with the nice feed to Michael Backlund. It's 2-0. Now 3-1 Flames in the second. Calgary power play. Goudreau tees it up for Sean Monaghan. Just his fourth of the year. 4-1 Flames. And then late in the second, it's Matthew Kachuk with the deflection goal. Brady did get one for Ottawa in the third. But the Flames win 6-3. And with the victory move, four points up on the Canucks with two games in hand. Leafs and Oilers, top two teams in the north. No Austin Matthews tonight out with a wrist injury. First period, William Nylander, who was the overtime hero the other night against the Flames, opens the scoring here, gets the wrister through Mike Smith. one nothing Leafs. And then a minute later, Mitch Marner will uh, take the pass from John Tavares, walk in and fire it past Smith. 2-0 Toronto after the first. And in the second, Oilers had some chances, but the Leafs in transition. Jason Spezza down the right wing. Check out that. The fake shot. Smith bites. Spezza fires at short side. The reverse Daryl Sittler from the 76th Canada Cup. 3-0 Maple Leafs. Third period, Zach Hyman with the quick release to the top corner. Leafs win it 4-0. Snap the Oilers' five-game win streak. And they extend their lead over second place Edmonton to six points in the North Division. Third round of the WGC Workday from the Concession Golf Club in Bradenton, Florida. Rory McIlroy got it going early. Eagle putt at 13. Six under, 66 for Rory. Jumps into a tie for fifth at 11 under. Colin Morikawa fired a tournament low eight under, 64 yesterday. He was in the zone again today. Number six, that's a 31-footer for birdie, and that was the start of an incredible birdie run for the 24-year-old American. He would fire eight birdies in a nine-hole stretch. Beautiful approach here at the eighth, led to one of those birdies, and then he will finish that birdie run at the 12th as he got it to 17-under and a five-shot lead, but bogeyed both par fives under the weight of the clubhouse, but he still leads at 15 under par, but that uh, five-shot lead now down to two. Billy Horschel in contention. Rolls in the eagle at 17. He's at minus 13, tied second. Brooks Kepka was the second-round leader, dealing with a stiff neck all day. Just two under on the day, but a long birdie here on 17. Gets him back into it. He is within two of Morikawa, tied for second along with Horschel. Mackenzie Hughes, the only Canadian in the field of 72, tied 42nd at one under. Meanwhile, on the Champions Tour from Tucson, the Colaguard Classic. Canadian Mike Weir had the lead after round one, has the lead after round two. Beautiful chip shot here on the par five. That was his third shot, and he would step up and tap that in for a birdie. Weir had seven birdies and two bogeys on the back nine. No par. Shot a six under 67. He is at 13 under. He's got a two-shot lead entering tomorrow's final round. Final day before the playoffs at the Scotties in Calgary. Jennifer Jones of Manitoba taking on Ontario's Rachel Holman. Nine Scotties titled between these two. Six for Jones, three for Holman. Jones really needed to win this game to keep her hopes alive, and she got it rather easily. A steal of three after the miss by Holman. 9-1 Jones wins. She's 8-3. Just one draw left tonight. Defending champ Kerry Einerson and Holman of clinch playoff spots. Jones and Alberta's Laura Walker fighting for the third and final playoff spot. The semi and final go tomorrow. 
English Premiership, first place Man City, fourth place West Ham, tied second half, John Stones fires in the game winner, City take it 2-1, extend their lead to 13 points over Man United and Leicester City. Cultus Lakes' Reese Howden has clinched the World Cup Ski Cross overall title. Howden didn't medal in today's race in Georgia. That's Europe, Georgia, not the American state of Georgia. It's the first overall title for the 22-year-old, so congrats to him. What a year. Meanwhile, two Canadians did make the final of that race in Georgia. Jared Smith of Ottawa, or Jared Schmidt of Ottawa, rather, and Calgary's Brady Lehman, the Olympic champ. Both Canadians running near the back of the pack. Halfway through the race, Lehman making up serious ground, but... Makes contact with the front runner Florian Wilmsman. Lehman crashes hard. No word on the severity of his injuries, but <laughs> it looked painful. Wilmsman goes on for the win. Jared Schmidt, uh, Schmidt got the bronze, his first ever podium finish. Mariel Thompson just finished out on another podium on the women's final as she finished in fourth place. A woman in Florida got more than her money and ID back when she lost her wallet this week. A uh, ring of the doorbell camera, ring the doorbell camera rather, captured the moment that a good Samaritan returned a lost wallet. Deborah Crosby was checking out at Walmart when she realized that she no longer had it. On the trip back home, she got a notification on her phone that someone was at her door. Well, it was a man named Johnny who found her wallet in the parking lot and drove all the way to her house to return it. He really did uh, take probably 45 minutes to an hour extra to do all of that. And I answer and I hear this guy say, hello, Miss Crosby, this is me, the guy with your wallet. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was beginning to think you were truly an angel. I was like, and you're flown away because no one had told us who you were. Yeah, Johnny's friends saw him featured in the viral video and urged him to call Crosby and the two are now friends. Isn't that nice? Drove 40 minutes to return her wallet. I would drive an hour to return your guy's wallet. Oh, Actually, you know, I'd just bring it to work, and then I wouldn't have to. Thank <laughs> you. I'd pop it in the mail, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one quick look at weather. Uh, we are tracking some rain this evening, and that'll linger in towards the morning hours. We do have a fair bit of cloud cover. A different weather picture for tomorrow. It'll be on and off showers, drizzle for a few spots, uh, but the long-range forecast also unsettled. Wow. Silver lining will be the mild temperatures. All right, thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> that is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11. Stay with us now for the new reality. Have a good night. See you back here tomorrow.